0: Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott, and normally I'd be thrown over to my co-host, Dr. Matt Woolley, but he's on vacation, living it up down in Mexico, so you got me solo. So when you get me solo, you get me pontificating about my life, my recovery, things that are going good, things that are going bad, but I've got some numbers for you that I want to share with you right now. 55 months, 242 weeks. 1696 days, over 40,000 hours, over 2 million minutes. Those are, uh, the measurements of times I've been sober. So 55 months, uh, since September 3rd, 2018. And, uh, uh I mean, pun intended, that's a sobering thought. You know, I mean, it really is because I never thought I would get there. I remember sitting in the the rooms of uh, 12-step meetings, wondering how I was going to get to 30 days, how I was going to get to a week, how I was going to get to the next day. And here we are coming up on uh, my five-year chip. uh, And I can tell you, life is crazy good. Uh, It's not all good, but it's not all bad. Uh, You know, as I was walking in here, I was wondering what I was going to talk about. And, um, I know you've heard me say this before, and if you have, I'm sorry, but what I was hoping for in my recovery was not to be happy, but not to be sad. I don't even know if that makes sense. Like, I didn't think that happiness was something that I was going to be able to get. I just didn't want to be sad and be a disappointment anymore. I I, I just, I wanted to be able to pay my bills, uh, be there for my kids, and I really wasn't worried about happiness. Um, I just, I didn't want to be a disappointment. I didn't want to be the guy that let everybody down. I didn't want to be the joke that, you know, that, or the story that, look at that guy. He wasted it all. And so I, I just wanted to get not happy, but not sad. And here I am coming up on five years and I've done some amazing things. And one of the things that really, um, kind of solidified, uh, that I was moving in the right direction was the letter from my daughter Presley. Uh, we've talked a lot about that letter and, uh, we just went and did some research and and some analytics, if you will. And when I say analytics, that means how many people have viewed it and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, The main video that we posted has got over 6.3 million views. Now, for some reason in the past four months uh, on the Project Recovery Facebook page where we've been getting uh, a a lot of interest is 265,000. That's a lot of people that have witnessed and heard and shared the story of the narrative my daughter wrote about how my addiction looked through her eyes. And uh, we try to answer as many people we can, is on Facebook and personal messages and Instagram and all of that. But I thought I'd take some time here and read some of the comments and share them with you. And if if you haven't, uh, go find us on Facebook. It's Project Recovery with Casey Scott. Uh, find that, and, and and we wanted that to be a resource to allow others uh, to. Communicate, find hope, find guidance. Uh, by no means is it the answers to your recovery, but it is a group of people who are going through something similar that you might be, whether it's an addict or a loved one. Uh, this lady writes right here. Uh, addiction is a selfish disease. It's beautiful that you share this very personal story with folks so that it shows how it impacts we have on each other. Presley wrote eloquently. Shame is not something worth carrying around if you can help it. Just be the best you can at all times. It's so kind and generous, and I suspect it will help many. What a moving, moving story. Thank you. You know, she says something in there that it is a selfish disease. And um, I remember when I was fighting with my ex-wife or my mom or my kids, and they would be like, you're drinking too much. And I'd be like, what do you care? This is my body. You know, and this doesn't affect you. I would say that all the time. I was like, why can't you just let me do what I want to do? I'm not making you drink. I'm not forcing you guys to do this. This is something I want to do. And that's the selfish part. Because what I didn't realize that uh, addiction is a family disease. And my actions were affecting family members, my loved ones, my relationships. But I thought I was just hurting myself. And that's the selfishness of the disease. You know, I, I've said this before, you know, for the longest time, my kids, my brother, my dad, my mom, they got a kick of, uh, you know, going around town telling people that I was, uh, their brother, their son, their husband, their dad, because I was the guy that was able to do all this cool stuff on TV and be able to take them to cool events and give them experiences that were just amazing. Um, and, and that was cool. And until it wasn't until I was the guy that everyone was asking about—about about the car wreck, about my mental state, about my divorce, about my kids, about my behavior—and so uh, my brother once called me, and uh, this was about three months into my sobriety. And he goes, "Hey, you doing good?" And I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I hope so," because I spend a majority of my day answering questions about you. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, anytime I go in to do my job, people want to know how you're doing, what's going on. Did you really do that? And uh, he goes, I'm glad you're doing good. But, man, it's monopolizing a lot of my time. And, and But, look, I don't blame him. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, he's there to do his job. He doesn't want to keep answering questions about his alcoholic brother. I mean, that's not fun. You know, so, uh, you know, that gave me some motivation. But we go going back down to the comments. I like this one. And I'm not using their names because I I, I don't want to get into anything with anybody. But this guy goes, it's not a disease. And people need to quit calling it a disease. A disease is something you can't quit. Alcohol and drugs, it's a choice. A disease is not a choice. Quit calling it a disease. And so I was going to respond to this guy. Because I remember sitting in uh, rehab at Pinnacle Recovery and them telling me it was a disease. And I remember saying is it really? I thought that was just something we told people so we could keep doing it, which is shows you my mental state, you know, but I mean, I thought that was what we said. It's like, Hey, it's a disease. You know what I mean? Uh, but they go, no, clinically it's a disease. And this person right here, although it is a choice, it was a choice to pick up the bottle, but it was not a choice to become an alcoholic. Um, and I'm not going to argue with this guy. I'm not going to fight. Uh, cause I don't think he's going to, I'm going to change his mind and he's not going to change my mind. What I found out about opinions is most people want to hear their opinions coming out of your mouth. But one thing I did want to focus on this guy's comment was, uh, he wanted to pick the part of it apart that it was a disease and it wasn't a disease and it's a choice and all this other stuff. But I often, I see people do that with problems where they want to tell you why it's not going to work. Or what's wrong with it? So right now, from the beginning, this guy is looking for ways to get out of it. So let's just accept that it's a disease or it's a choice. But what we can all agree on is it's a bad situation. So if we're going to get hung up in calling it by a name, then we're not really trying to address the root of the issue. So you can call it whatever you want. But I can tell you it's something that affects many people in this world and ruins Many lives. And if you want to get hung up in naming it, then you're not really looking to help it or solve it. And that, then that's just my opinion. And I'd like to hear it coming out of your mouth, but you know, I'm saying that's, but that's, but that's what, how I see it. I was like, I don't care what you call it. I want to help you get through it. I want to show you that there is a path through it and that many people before you have made it through it and are now living productive, wonderful lives. But I don't. I don't like people who tell me reasons why it won't work, because we that just doesn't seem productive. I want you to tell me reasons why it could work. I want to be an optimist where I go. I don't know, but I'm going to give it my shot. I'm going to give everything I got. You know why do we want it? start out on the bad foot? Why do we want to start out thinking that it's not going to work? I know it's like a self-protective thing where we're we're, we're just, we're trying to set, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but reasons of of why it's not going to work as, as a way to protect yourself. But then I think when you do that, you're keeping yourself from true greatness. So I think when you look at a problem, let's figure out a way to make it work, not why it won't work. Um, that's how I've always kind of done my life. I, uh, people ask me is like, how did you get this job in TV and, uh, luck, hard work. But the bottom line was, is when they asked if somebody could do it, I stood up and I didn't know if I could, but I was willing to take a shot. Um, I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I didn't want to sit there and think of all the reasons why I could fail. I was like, what if it does work? What if I can do this? And I've kind of attacked life that way my, my whole life. is. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to give it a shot. I always say um, I might not win the fight, but you're going to definitely know you got in a fight. I'm going to give it all I got. Um, the other day I was driving home with my son and uh, we were talking about the difference between being religious and being spiritual and he's trying to figure out where he fits in all that. And uh, I kind of consider myself more of a spiritual person than a religious person. Uh, and he goes, well, what does that mean, Dad? And I go, wow, <sighs> that's a good question. When you're trying to uh, tell an 11-year-old your thoughts when you're not even sure about your thoughts. Um, but it always takes me back to something I learned in the Boy Scouts. And that's the way I kind of treat life. Uh, And when you're a Boy Scout and you do a lot of camping, one of the main rules is when you go to a camping spot, the next day when you leave, you leave the camping spot better than you got it. And so that's the philosophy I use in life. I'm going to leave this place a little better than I got it. And what's ever on the other end, I'll be cool with. But if I left it a little better than I got it, then it means I made a difference. And that's what I want to do. Uh, Since Dr. Matt's not here today, we thought we'd revisit one of our old episodes. And um, this episode means a lot to me. Uh, This is probably the only other guy in the state who does what I do that can relate to the things that I've been through. Uh, We kind of came up together together. Uh, at times, we battled each other because we were on competing stations, and now we're working for the same station. Uh, he's uh, the guy who fills in for me when I'm gone on KSL TV. His name is Big Buddha. Uh, not so big anymore. Uh, he's had his own battles, his own fights, and right now, he's winning in life. And he's still trying to figure out what he wants to do and where he wants to go, but he's doing it. And he's sharing his story about depression, depression mental health, anxiety, family trauma, and he shares all of that on this podcast. So we're going to let you listen to Big Buddha on Project Recovery. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovering. It's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. Go check them out. Without knowyourscript.org, we wouldn't be able to do this weekly podcast. And Dr. Matt, I'd like to think that we've helped a good amount of people. I, I think we safely can say that we have. You know, in, in recovery, uh, when people are willing to share their story, you'll often hear them say, if it helps just one person, mm-hmm. then it's worth it. And that's exactly what we said when we first started this podcast three right. years ago. Yep. If we can help one person, then it's worth it. Because sometimes people who come on this show share the most vulnerable side. Of their life with us and oh, it's usually yeah. and, and and there's stigma that goes along with that there's embarrassment there's ego i mean it, it i mean when we were growing up as kids i mean it was the pack mentality you didn't want to show no weakness because if you did blood in the water those were those the ones that got attacked <laughs> yeah the kids can smell it you know we grew up with uh, rub some dirt on it walk it off yeah you don't need to go to the hospital. You're not bleeding. I mean, right. the, the, those things were.
1: I think I heard all of those on a regular basis. Yeah. How about this one? Playing football, playing basketball, all that stuff. Yeah. Are you
0: crying? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> I mean, That's a I'll, classic. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. got that all the time. The one that my dad said, was, and I've used it on my kids, um, he'd be like, Casey, go in the garage and get a screwdriver. And I'd go out there and I'd mess around and I couldn't find it. And I would come in, and I'd go, I can't find it he go out and pick it right up and goes, if it had been a candy bar, you'd have found it. You
1: know I mean? <laughs> my dad was, if it had been a snake, it would have bit you. Yeah,
0: but no, my yeah. dad was like, because you look harder need... for a candy bar yeah, than you, you look, look a lot harder for a harder screwdriver. For, yeah, for sure. And I think that's still true today. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But I we want to thank all of our guests who come on and, and share this side of their lives.
1: I, I regularly, in fact, just the other day, we'll have somebody just who's listened to the show and they'll say, I am so impressed. Like, They'll say, I couldn't come on the show and be that open and that vulnerable, but I'm impressed with your guests who do that because it's so helpful to us, the listeners.
0: Another thing our guests will say is it's part of the healing process. Yeah. And it goes back to owning what it is. And if we if you yep. don't own it, there's a chance that it'll come back around.
1: I think there's that, uh for sure. I think there's also an element of increasing uh, self-awareness when you tell your story you understand it better Mm -hmm. and when you understand it better you understand yourself and self-awareness is a gateway to self-control like like doing what you really want to do in life and so i think it's important that's i think that process happens in therapy Mm -hmm. right and i think it happens here in this studio it happens in 12-step meetings it happens anywhere a person's willing to tell their story they grow
0: okay so now because you're a clinical psychologist that means you're very smart I, I
1: don't know if that's what it means, but
0: but you say something like self awareness. Yeah. Okay, for those out there, uh, what is the definition of self awareness? I mean, who 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 possesses good self awareness? Well,
1: hopefully, we all possess some self awareness, but self awareness in that context, I would say, is understanding why you do what you do. Triggers, right? Triggers are part of it. Sure. But it's like self like we all get up and have motivations throughout the day to do stuff. Some of it's productive and healthy. Some of it's not so much. But do you understand why you do what you do? That self-awareness helps you be in control of it. So you can you can do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff, if that makes sense.
0: So if somebody was listening to this podcast and wanted to hone their self-awareness skills, are there things that we could be doing to help us better understand who we are? Because, I mean, that's the crazy thing is now I'm a 48 years old and I think I know myself really well. But you would ask me 10 years ago, I thought I knew myself, but I yeah. didn't. I really didn't. Yeah. I was I was believing the hype. I was believing the BS. I, was, I wasn't sure of who I wanted to be. I'm not still 100% sure of who I want to be. I just know who I don't want to be, and I'm moving towards that direction.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, I would put a plug in just for general therapy, like going in and talking with a therapist occasionally, even if you don't feel like... a lot. Most people wait till they're in crisis yes. to go see a therapist. But if you were like, hey, you know what? I want to know myself better. I want to have better self-awareness. I want to be more in control of my life. You could go in once a month and have a conversation with a therapist who can help you develop that insight. But a shortcut, no not, 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 not a not – We call a, them life hacks, bro. Okay, life hack, bro. Yeah. Uh, but not a substitution for good therapy. But here's an exercise that I sometimes ask people to do. Okay. And that is it's an ABC journal. And this is what you do. And journaling sounds terrible. And I feel that every time I say that word because I hate journaling. I have a lot of guilt from being a kid. And you're supposed to write in your journal. And I, uh, I never did. But this kind of journaling is easy to do. So you could say to yourself, all right, every day when I go to bed, <clears throat> I'm going to get out the notes on my phone because I always have my phone with me. So I'm going to open up the notes on my phone. I'm going to think back on the day. I'm going to think, was there sort of uh, a big, powerful experience I had today, positive or negative is something that was kind of high emotion, sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. That's the B. A, B, C. Antecedent means what came before it. Ooh. B is the behavior. That's That was my experience I'm remembering. And C is the consequence. What happened because of that? So most days are pretty average, and those aren't going to be huge deals. But to you, they are. If you realize what happened before This experience I had, what was the experience like? I'll write that down. And then what came as a result of that experience? And if you did that every day for a couple of weeks, you would have so much information about yourself. You'd start to see patterns of triggers or situations or influences that cause you to do and experience what you experience. And then you'd also start to see right there on the page. The result of all your behavior. And sometimes that's exciting. And a lot of times it's kind of like, ooh, mm. I, I got some changes to make. But the cool thing is, you know what changes to make now.
0: Right. All right. So walk me through this because uh, I had something happen like this yesterday, but it wasn't for me. It was my daughter. OK. OK. So Frankie uh, is trying out for the diet.
1: Right, the diet's at Davis High
0: School. Yeah, and my oldest daughter, who was a junior, decided not to do it because she wanted to do some different stuff her senior year, which okay. is okay. And we, and we talked about because that. Because
1: she's been a dancer her whole life until now. I didn't yeah. realize she's not doing it. Now, now. she's
0: not doing it. Okay. And so Frankie was trying out, and mm-hmm. this was a big deal at my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been practicing for weeks. Truth be told, she's been practicing her whole life. All she ever wanted to do was be a diet because her sister was, and whatever her sister does, she wants to do. Okay. So, me and my ex-wife are sitting outside of Davis High School. Uh, it's tryouts. So we're out there, and all of a sudden, Frankie comes running out, freaked out. She goes, "Dad, I just bombed! I just bombed!" And oh. she's talking to her mom, and she goes, I bombed. I blew the hip hop, and hip hop's my best, Dad. I can't believe I blew hip hop. And she starts just freaking out, and and, and almost like an anxiety attack. Oh you yeah, know? yeah. And, and I go, "Hey, she's panicking." Bro. I was yeah. like, "Hey, it, it doesn't all come down to one dance. Maybe it does. I don't know. I was just trying to comfort her, right. you know." And I was like, "Just take a deep breath." Don't let him see a sweat. Mm -hmm. Go back in there and just own it. Own who you are. And I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. So she goes, okay, dad. She takes a deep breath, wipes the tears from her eyes, goes in. Hour later, I'm stuck in a car with my ex-wife. And we had a pretty good time, but I, you know, we we're, were getting text. So they didn't let you guys watch. No, the we couldn't watch. You had to so, wait. I'm, so I'm texting, you know, Frankie to see how it's going. She goes, I don't know, Dad. We're still waiting. I was like, I'm running out of things to talk to your mom about. Frankie's <laughs> like, maybe you should go to Wikipedia and find stuff you can talk to your ex-wife about. Frankie's a character. <laughs> and yeah. So we were laughing about that, and so then all of a sudden, she comes out, opens up, gets the letter. She's an official diet. Oh yeah, woo! So I wanted, and so but during that she was sending these texts like I'm no good, I, yeah. I blew it. This is I, I don't know what to do, you know. Yeah. And and I was like, hey, you can't beat yourself up. You 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 know, negative self talk. Negative self talk. And yeah. I and, and I was like, hey, we can't have that, you know. You all you can do is go in and give it your best, right? And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you know you did it your best, mm-hmm. you can be proud. Yeah and she made the team and so That's awesome. and, and and I'm stoked but I still want to go back and talk to her about this negative self talk
1: Perfect so 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 what often happens as parents Is, you know, we're all, you know, we're on pins and needles about these sorts of things our kids do, and we want them to have good experiences. And when they do have a good experience, like she ultimately did, we tend to celebrate it, right? Way to go. Good job. You know, I saw the picture on on Instagram. I got her a unicorn balloon. Unicorn balloon, right? And yellow roses. I think that's a great dad move, right? Yeah. And so we celebrate it and then we leave it. And the problem is, there's no guarantee of learning from that. So these are called mastery experiences. If you want to know what causes a person to have high self-esteem, self-confidence as an adult, it's because they've had a hundreds and thousands of positive self-mastery uh, experiences. And this is what it is. It's when you can take ownership of your role in a positive outcome mm-hmm. instead of giving it away. So what you need to do now, this is your homework assignment. I'm going to do it. You need to go to her next time you have a chance to chat with her as soon as you can, next few days, chat with her and say, that's so great. You're a diet. I'm so proud of you. It's it's amazing. But what do you think you did in order to make that happen? Now, here's the kicker. If she gives you an externalizing answer, something like, well, I got lucky. Everybody did well. The coaches were really good. Uh, I got lucky with the song selection. Any of that kind of stuff, she didn't really learn what we need her to learn. She didn't have a mastery experience. She doesn't it's not going to be much different the next time she's in a similar situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the self-talk is going to come back that negative stuff. If she on her own or with a little bit of coaching from you can have some internalizing answers, it's good for her to be realistic and say, Oh, you know um, I did get a good song selection or, you know, my, my coach helped me prepare really well. But if she can own, like I didn't give up dad, like, I was really bummed, but when I came out and talked to you, I, I went back in, and I really did try my best. I didn't give up on any of the parts. When I made a mistake, I kept going. Anything that shows that she knows how she helped influence that positive outcome. That she that's did the a, work. Then, Yeah, that she owns it, then that's a mastery experience. Okay? I like it. Now, this is very different than being a narcissist, somebody who's full of themselves. They have unrealistic, like ownership. They they think they're the best one there and that they own everything and that they didn't need anybody's help. That's not what we're after. That's, Uncle Rico, he can Uncle throw the ball Rico, over the mountain. If I could just go go back, <laughs> throw that ball over the mountain, right? So, so if she can have an internalizing answer, and if she doesn't, you can say, well, you know, that is awesome. You got some, a little bit of luck, never hurt anybody, but what did you do? You need to keep kind of coaching her. And then if she can't get it, you need to say something to her like, Well, I noticed that instead of coming and getting in the car and going home with us, you dried your tears and you went back in. Do you think that had anything to do with it? And so that's the sort of coaching a parent can do. So don't make that mistake, which we've all made. Don't just celebrate something good that your kid does. At some point, come back around and have that conversation with them. How did you make that happen? And then listen, is it externalizing or internalizing? And when you call that a mastery, what mastery experience? Okay. And so it's, this is why the 10,000 hours. Yeah, Well, that's practice, but yeah, you're, you're owning it. I assume if you're sticking with something that long, yeah. but uh, this is why a purple ribbon doesn't do anybody any good, yeah. right? Like we all grew up with like, Oh, we get a lavender ribbon. And I think on this show, I've told my story of like in the four H club, which I shouldn't have been there anyway. <laughs> and then I got this lavender ribbon. I threw it in the trash. Cause I, even at a young age, I knew that <clears throat> that didn't mean anything. Those things celebrating giving awards those are fun that 's the fun part, but it doesn 't build self confidence doesn 't build self esteem that 's where you can realistically say um, on the what we want to train young kids to do is i I did these things, and it it created this outcome as you get a little more mature, you can also do the other end of the spectrum and you can say. When I met, I, I messed up because I did these things and yeah. I'm going to do it different next time, but we will wait till she's a little older on that. Okay. But like right now it's, it's important for kids. And you know what? If you're 50 years old and you're struggling with your self-confidence, you can do that for yourself. Now you can say, well, do I give away responsibility for my success? Do do I, can I not own it? Do I have this unrealistic humility? Some people who grow up in really um, religious households sometimes have a hard time owning And because they feel cocky instead of saying, oh, I give it all up to somebody else did it for me. It's like, no, 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 what did you do? So I I hope you'll have that, and then you got to come back
0: and tell us how Frankie... I'll report back to you. That's why I love having a doctor as a co-host. I mean, he's wicked smart, guys. He really is wicked smart. Well, I don't know. You should put that on your business card. Wicked smart. I should get a business card. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I'm really excited for our guest today. He's an amazing friend of mine. Uh, We've been through thick and thin. Uh, You... Might know him as Big Buddha, but his name is Leroy Teo, and uh, we're going to hear his story coming up next. You're listening to Project Recovery. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today. So excited. Big Buddha. Right. And, uh, he's been doing morning television for, we, we talked about this off air, 19 years, man.
2: 19, 19 years.
0: And, uh, we both started in radio before that. And, uh, our, our, our paths have been pretty similar. Our career paths have been pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, mine, uh, ended a little bit abruptly. Uh, <laughs> but we, we all know why. Well, you gotta read the bull stuff. Well, man, come because, on, you man. know what? Because it, I gotta remember, I gotta remember it. I really do. And so, I got you. I feel uh, you. I feel just, you on that one. But we just keep moving forward and uh that's what we do. Uh and uh we work together for uh the Utah Warriors rugby. Uh Right. Yeah, he's yeah. out on the field uh getting everybody hyped in the scrums and, and explaining uh rugby to a bunch of Utahns. And if you haven't <laughs> been to a game, it's absolutely amazing. It, they are a lot of fun. And uh Let me show up here. And they do. (laughs) I don't buy any, but they do sell. (laughs) You can go check it out. Um, Again, Stop stopping get bull stuff. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, But if you guys remember, it was probably about five months ago. uh, You turned on your TV and you noticed a big personality missing. Uh, Because he's been there every morning forever. Yeah, 19 years. Yeah. And uh, I went to his Instagram uh, and he just simply said, I'm taking some time off to deal with some mental health. And – He said, I'll be back in three months. And uh, nobody heard from him. And uh, there was a picture of you. It looked like on an island just giving everybody a peace out. Is that about right? Yep. And uh, It was uh, in Waikiki. Okay. In And so you you went to deal with some mental health, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But let's talk about everything that got you to that point because – it, it doesn't just happen all at once. Uh, it's like an addiction. Uh, all, it, it. Tell, I think it's, I think, you know, with, with,
1: with both of you guys, people kind of feel like they know you because they've, they, they've spent time with you on TV and I don't discount that. I mean, that's people create relationships with people that are in their lives that way, but they may not know much about your background and how you got to where you're at. So maybe it's just, where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your family and, and just a little bit about some of those things. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I have
2: a, uh, there's kind of two sets of kids in my family. Uh, Cause my uh, cousins, they were older than me. Uh, my first uh, cousins, um, they came and lived with us. So as far back as I can remember, I always thought I had an older brother, a couple of older brothers and older sisters, but they were all cousins. Okay. Uh, But I am the oldest of six uh, of children from my mom and my dad. Um, We grew up in, uh, I was born in San Bruno, uh, San Francisco in the Bay Area. I think I was six months old, my mom said, and we moved to Compton, California. So we moved to Southern California. Uh, My grandparents were the first uh, non-whites to live in Compton, so, yeah, wow. they, blame them. They're the ones who started it. <laughs> Guys, sorry. It was a nice suburb to so the Samoans moved in. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, but that's, that's the distinction my, my grandparents have. They were the first non-white, uh, to, uh, residents of wow. Park Village, Compton, California. And so we moved there to be with them. And so that's where I grew up. And, um, I think shortly the, the earliest memory I have is we're attending, uh, Park Village Elementary School. I see it's smoking. I can see the, I can see the elementary smoldering. It's fire and we're walking away. And it's like, I don't remember anything else. That's my first memory. And there's, there's drugs. There's violence. There's, I'm like, whoa, where, where did all, all this come from? What happened to all the good stuff? But that's, I don't remember anything before that. Interesting. That's how I remember Compton. Um, so grew up in the inner city, age 12. My parents, uh, decide, uh, they want to go back to Samoa. Um, you know, my dad went to school uh, that, that's a conversation for another for another time it's too long to get into it, but basically, my dad promised to go back and teach for the c e s the church educational system and uh he was supposed to go two years earlier anyway decided yes we're going, so we go there and dad's a seminary teacher in Samoa to start off with um in besa.
1: And my dad was a seminary teacher. We have that in common. Yeah. Well he's an
2: institute teacher and so, yeah. so you, you understand that was so yeah. but dad before that he was an institute and seminary teacher uh in Southern California at uh, Harbor College, El Camino. So he knew a lot of the up and coming athletes, right? So that's that was our world. Uh we had cousins that played in the NFL, but but we grew up on that uh, around around that area in Compton. Anyway, we, we go to Samoa and my dad is a seminary teacher the first year um my brother and my sisters we all we all moved to Samoa and it's uh going from the most advanced technological country America to a third world country developing country there was no running water there was no electricity uh we had to dig our outhouse I I hadn't done any manual labor at all I mean and now you are digging it out I was like what d- dig a what this is for what no toilet paper yeah, we we didn't have any mayonnaise. There was no ketchup. There was no peanut butter. No, two, I mean there was all the creature comforts were stripped away. We were living wow. on the bare essentials. At twelve, at twelve, well, that's a hard time to have a change like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Atari, we, Atari mm. was the biggest thing. Now, I, oh, here here's how I tell you that the biggest difference the the VHS that they had was like a. Big old suitcase yeah. that it popped up like this. You had to push it in and push it down oh, yeah. in order for the tape to work. And we were like, oh, why don't we have movies? I mean, Dad, it, again, it's, it's, it's a whole other conversation. But Dad was doing well, and he she started buying all these gifts. Anyway, we're, we're in Samoa, and, and part of the mission is, you know, they sent big families to Samoa in not so very populated areas. So we would help with – uh Pass me that yeah. sorry, but I got oh, the, the emotion the emotional damage. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have the Kleenex right. But they, they sent families, the big families back there that, that would populate these villages. And so we were everything from entertainment to showing kids how to how to do stuff that they were doing in America. So we were doing movie nights. We were doing dances. We were doing proms, stuff they never had. Yeah. So there was all this pressure on us how to show Samoan kids how to live Western-style lives. Uh You know, but we're coming to Samoa for the Samoan experience. So if you can imagine all this pressure on how I was showing kids how to date, and I didn't Uh even know how to date. You know, and it was like, oh, you have to do this. And so, I found myself teaching, bowing, curtsy. I didn't know where that came from. Yeah. But but I was supposed to help them assimilate, I guess, into Western civilization so that when they went back to BYU-Hawaii, they,
1: they, they were ahead a little bit. I, does that
2: make any sense what yeah, I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, are It's it's bringing culture there that, that hopefully they're going to use in the future. Um, but it's a clash of culture, and that, that can bring its own problems, yeah. right? Like, And like you said, you you had absorbed some of that stuff but at 12 13 years old like you were no expert at that kind of stuff right
2: yeah i was just i was just guy to be around uh hot, hot chicks i mean <laughs> i'm 12 you know yeah. i'm like oh, new girls to look at oh my gosh oh, okay they think i'm cool cuz i speak english yeah. Yes. yeah yeah you know um but it was so when you talk about the abuse and you talk about mental health samoa and tonga uh probably a lot of the south pacific island nations that's where the root is at, right? So even though we're here in America trying to fix the problem, they're still doing it the old school way at home. That's where the, that's where we need to go and fix the root of all of this because we haven't changed their mindset, right? People in America, they're, they're woke, uh, to use a, 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 a word, if you will. But we have resources. In Samoa, they're still beating their kids. They're still authoritative. They're, it's still abuse.
1: So talk about like... Like, we hear that, and, and you know, of course, we all have our opinions about that, and we try to avoid it, I hope, but but for, for a lot of people in certain cultures, it's kind of the norm. So, t- what was that like for you growing up? What, did it feel, did, did you have a clash of that between a, your American upbringing and your Samoan upbringing, or I, I, what was your home like, that, that, that kind great, of stuff? That's a great question. I don't,
2: I don't think there was an American, I mean... Uh, the American way of life we experience. Uh, my, my, my kid, my, my good friend Kenny, uh he's the only white kid I knew in Compton, uh, went over to his house. And this, I know you've heard a comedian say this, but this really happened to me. Bro, what happened? What's, what's that bruise? Oh, my dad hit me, blah, blah, blah. He can't do that. Bro, you mm-hmm. can call the cops. Yeah. They'll, they'll arrest him if you do that. Oh, yeah. Try, try being a Samoan kid and you do that. Your dad tells you, We'll take about 15, 20 minutes for them to show up. So what, what, what are you going to do in between then? <laughs> where, where are you going to go? Yeah. I said, yeah. I got you. This is my dad would say, I got you. You ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Let, the, let the police come. And that was back in the day too, when the cops showed up. They they let your parents discipline you and they didn't arrest them. Like, so now you learned your lesson, huh, young man? Uh, you're not going to talk back anymore, are you? That was, that's how it, it was cops part said. of the course. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. And so I didn't feel, any difference going to Samoa I think so you had that yeah that was that was part of your family culture up in America yeah I I got I got beat up plenty
2: in America I mean I think it got worse in Samoa because it was everybody was doing it right I and in America I thought everybody was I thought everybody's getting beat up well, when I thought you're everybody a, got the home a
1: kid you don't know what's going yeah. on in other people's homes so you just kind of yeah. assume it's like yours it's a, so
0: physical was, abuse was a regular thing. It's a
2: regular thing and it happened in public. I mean, it was I'm not I'm not alone. I know plenty of Polynesians and even uh kids who are not Polynesians. I saw that uh living in the ghetto, living in the projects that discipline, physical discipline was something that was common. It happened in the stores. Uh, Dad, can I have a candy? No, put it back. Can I have a candy? I'm going to tell you one more time. Kevin boom right right it, yeah. it went from 0 to 60 in 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 the heartbeat. Yeah. You it, said
0: something off air that I want to bring up because it, it really hit me is you said since the age of 12 you've been fighting grown-ups. I I've been fighting grown men, grown women
1: since since I was since I was 8. So it wasn't just your dad but it was like you mentioned off air, your aunties and yeah. any adult around you. It they was had
2: they had free reign yeah. to discipline me if I stepped out of line. And my mom and dad didn't even they didn't not that they didn't care, but I think they looked at it as oh thank you thank you so much for caring enough about my son that you disciplined him too. Right. You know I mean one of my uncles, I, 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 my uncle Blake. Short. He had short man syndrome, and that guy laughed his butt off while he beat us up mm. with platform shoes. Mm. I mean, it was it was that kind of stuff. I and I and I can hear myself, and I'm playing devil's advocate too. And I'm like, come on, man, is it? It's almost like it Does these stories are like made up? But none of my cousins have come and called me out because they know it's true. Yeah. I, I, I dare any one of them to, to, to confront these stories are true. I I don't want to make these. These are not stories you want to make up.
0: So right. is, is it a cultural and a generational thing that, I mean, it's just been passed down? Well, you brought up a
1: good thing, Casey, off the air, and we call it intergenerational abuse, right? And part of it's cultural, but you can't. I think hopefully we can't excuse it by saying it's cultural. Like cultures have cultural behaviors that are wonderful. Yeah. And cultures have cultural behaviors that are not wonderful. And I think this, this level of physical abuse is not wonderful. Even in, you know, Western cultures, it was much more common a hundred years ago, 50 years ago. And, and now it's less common, but it still happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because it's a cultural thing doesn't mean it's productive for the culture, but it does. You brought up the fact that like talking about your dad. Uh, that maybe your dad was raised that way and you were like, oh yeah. So it, it gets passed down yeah. generation after generation. Yeah. It's,
2: you don't know any other way, right? You, you think this is the way it's supposed to be until you get out in the world and you start to mingle with other people, right? And they, then you have these shared ideas. I, like my friend Kenny, he, he didn't even know. He, all he knew was a time out. He, a timeout, right? He, yeah, that's all he knew was a timeout, and he's productive.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's
2: doing well. Yeah, <laughs> he graduated from college. You know, yeah. I'm like, so,
1: so part of that
2: is like, Dad, did you have to beat my butt that bad in order? For, I said, I, there's, there's, there's evidence. That the, you don't need you, that.
1: You can help kids grow up and be productive, yeah. good citizens, without beating them. But if you talk to an old timer. <laughs> They will say, but that—that's. I was teaching. Yeah. Like, like there's a conf- there's a difference in their mind between whether it was abuse, which we'd call it now. My dad will tell you, um, growing up, the thing that he hated the worst was when his dad would look at him and say, "Pick a switch." You know, what that man, he had to go outside and find, like, do you, do you want a switch that's thick? Do you want the thin one? Like, what kind of pain yeah. do I want? Because that's what I'm going to get. I have to yeah. take the switch back and, and get my my lashes, right, for whatever I did. But I think my grandfather, he was, I'm sure, raised that way. And that's kind of like we're teaching the kids something. But nowadays, we do know there yeah. are better ways if, to if do If I want to be
2: honest, I'm, I'm at a crossroads. I, I, I'm at this horrible crossroads because I realize what my father gifted me unbeknownst to him. He gave me this fearlessness, right? So every time I go out, I left the house. I had this chip on my shoulder that whatever I would encounter, it's not half as bad as the 500 pound gorilla that's at the house who, who will beat me up at the drop of a hat. So what are you going to do to me? Right? So, so I had that mentality. So, so that's the fearlessness that dad blessed me with. But so, so here's now that I'm a dad, I'm a grandfather. I'm looking at my kids. I have the I have two sets of kids. The first two kids, the two older kids, they were raised the same way. I I, I was not a good dad. I was mean, authoritative. I beat the crap out of my kids. My my, my last kids, none of them have ever experienced any kind of abuse. Right, please, please forgive me. God bless you. Please, please forgive me when I say this. I don't mean this. I just I'm just a father who have noticed the difference. Of course. The older kids, they're killers. They they will stop at nothing. They don't care. They're fierce. They're fearless. My kids, the younger kids, come on, get up. Gonna push. Come it. on. I kind of push them more. The ones, the older ones. It's okay. Bring it down. Bring it down a little bit. So I have this struggle. Where have I dropped the ball? I want this. For these kids, I, w- I want the fearlessness to be put in these kids, but without the abuse, that's where I'm at. Yeah. How do I teach my kids to do dangerous stuff safely so they can feel that adrenaline, so they can feel what it's like without the abuse? That That's where I'm at.
1: And that's a crossroads. I I mean, I think it's awesome that you're willing to come on and be so honest about it because you know what? There are people listening to the show right now that are at that same place. They're like, well, I want my kids to be tough and fearless. I want my kids to to not back down to challenges in their life. How can we help them do that without the abuse? Because as you know mental health issues start to become part of the dna of a person who is abused yes you may be fearless yes you may be tough yes you may not back down to challenges and you can see the application the positives of those things in your life but there's also the dark side of it, right? There's, there's actually uh, good evidence that those people struggle with self-esteem and they struggle with self-control. And sometimes that fearlessness gets them into situations that aren't healthy.
0: Leads them to addiction. And we're going to find out what the dark side looks like. You're listening to Big Buddha right here on Project Recovery. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Big Buddha. Uh, he's talking about the gift that his, uh, dad gave him, um, the gift of fearlessness. But as Dr. Matt said, although you got the gift of fearlessness, you also got some other things that, uh, you had to carry around with you the rest of your life. Uh, what were some of the other things that, you know, that you carried around with you?
2: Um, the, the, yes. Great, great question. I mean, things that you don't think about at the time, but, um, you know, I think as humans, we're always trying to find that silver lining, and so you gravitate to that thing, right? The fearlessness. Think positive. Yeah, think positive. But um I've also, man, I've discovered that I'm so critical of myself because my dad was critical of me. You know, you guys talk about, um I heard you guys talking about earlier when you opened up the show how dad would tell you, you know, um, go find something, right? Oh, I, our dads are a lot alike, but, but my dad would have this phrase. He had this phrase that he would say to us and it, it didn't mean that he wanted to help us. It meant that if I come over there and I do it, oh, you're going to get it. So, so he would ask us, uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a chore and I'm not doing it right or I'm not doing it up to his standard. He would ask, Hey, you want me to come over here and do that? That means he he doesn't want to come over. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. So I found myself fast forward. I found myself trying to do that to my kids. It does not work. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you want me to come over and do that, Dad? If you could help me, that would be really tremendous. <laughs> I could, I could really. Yeah, I'm not getting the stain out. I'm like. Oh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> what the, what? There's you not know? the fear it there. It doesn't yeah. work that way. And
0: I'm like, how am I going to do this? What the heck? But you said no. we wanted to find a better way to do this, and it sounds like that was an opportunity <laughs> to do it. But we've got to switch the mindset. Imagine if our kids said. Yes, I would like you to come over and help me do this because I'm really not getting it. But we think that they should know things. Right, and we forget right. that they're little people just learning. They're just learning. And, you yeah. know, and it's like, like when I ask my kid and I'm trying to download something, he goes, Do you want me to come help you do this? Me, I go, No, I got this because I'm the grown up. I got this figured out. My son's really going, dad, I can help you do this. I can teach you this, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. But there's so much of that ego. And
1: well, we talk about confidence, right? And so fearlessness is, that's a type, that's applied confidence, right? When you're being fearless. Yeah. Um, one of the things to keep in mind, there's a middle ground between letting somebody just flounder on their own and struggle with something without any help and taking over the task and doing it for them. And, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is your dad would be like, you either do it, figure it out, or I'm going to come do it for you. And there's a consequence yeah. for having me. But there's a middle ground. The middle ground is knowing how much help and support a kid needs while they still struggle and then letting them own the good outcome. Yeah. Where you say, you know what, this is what you did. Or in our, we talked earlier about mastery conversations. You say, okay, that worked out. I had to come help you. What would you do next time if I wasn't here to help you? like how would you do that if if I wasn't here and they well I would do this as like yeah, that's right you, now they own those skills now the kid goes and does it on their own and they own the whole thing the outcome that's confidence without the abuse but but you know the other thing that I've noticed uh
2: because that is exactly what what I was thinking about too is that my dad um he was, so he was, uh, when we moved to Savaii, so this is a year later, so 84, we were in Pesenga, uh, he was a seminary teacher. When we moved in 85, we moved to the big island in Savai, and he became the uh, vice principal, uh, to start. It and he was also now in charge of the village, in charge of the dorm students. I mean, it was like a mini BYU, it's a high school, but it's like a mini BYU, so girls had dorms, boys had dorms, people were, you know, were there from, they were basically service missionaries. That's okay. what we were doing there. So, when we got there, it just—it was this uh, switch. Dad was now this uber important person, and so his demeanor and his presence in public was so different than the one we got home. And he's a religious leader, and he's a religious leader. Yeah. And so you know, as a kid, you just you just you just listen to your dad. You just follow everything. All this stuff doesn't hit you to, to years later, but I, I realize. That I'm doing. I was doing the same thing that my dad was. We didn't get the good dad. Yeah, dad saved all of his good stuff for the kids. For 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 any student that had a problem, for any teacher that had a problem, and then when he came home, this this is what my dad did. He would lie on the floor in the middle of the floor with a flat volleyball as a pillow, no shirt on, just a lava lava on, and just checked out every day. And he would discipline us. If, if we, too loud, old man get mad disciplined. Because he was trying to recharge. Yeah. Like yeah. like how we would recharge, Case. So you know, and so, so that's that's what led me to, to where I'm at now. I just kept going, kept going, kept, didn't have a chance to take care of me.
0: So let's get into that a little bit. You said your dad bestowed the gift of fearlessness on you. And the fearlessness came with some great responsibilities and great uh, opportunities. In fact, that you became... The first feature Samoan reporter in the world. And 19 years been doing it here in Utah. And I had a similar job over at Channel 2, and we got to do – I mean, we and Buddha talked last week because we went to lunch. And I said, the crazy thing was, Buddha, is the state was our playground. Yeah. We could do whatever we wanted. We got paid to have fun. Yeah, we just had to call somebody and go, hey, we want to come out. And they were like, yeah. And not only is say, yeah, they would roll out the red carpet, open up doors. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, we had so many similarities in our careers that uh, I remember a lot of times people would ask my ex-wife. It's like, it's got to be so much fun no. being married to Casey. It's got to be <laughs> so much fun. No. And she goes, no.
1: No. <laughs> you guys get the good
0: Casey. We get the tired Casey. Yeah. We get the... The guy Casey that just wants to come home and lay on the couch and recharge his batteries, right? Uh, and Buddha, you said the similar. Here, I am.
2: Here I am. Yeah, I'm raising my hand. I was now remember I, I I was big. I was 450 pounds, so it was even harder for me for my energy, right? So yes. Oh God bless my wife and my kids, but they had the same experience. Case they would say, Dad, you're so fun on TV and lively, but frick, when you come home, <laughs> bro, you shut down. You you don't you want to sleep you don't you don't want to come to any of our games you don't want to I didn't realize that that was happening because all I could think about was I I got to save it because I I, we got a paycheck Mm -hmm. I I got to work if I don't do this we don't eat so uh, you guys are gonna have to forgive me right not knowing little by little I was losing them you know and and I had to take. I had to take big measures,
0: and so for 19 years, you woke up every morning, and uh, Utah invited you into their home, and there's some responsibility that comes with that. Uh, you know, when you're out in public and you're out wherever, you always want to be on your best foot, even when you're not feeling the yeah, best. Yeah. You, you, you want to give everybody what you think they deserve or what they want. Yeah, well,
2: that that Netflix with uh, Kevin Hart. You know that that show he did. Nobody cares about you. <laughs> Uh, just get up and do the show. Nobody cares about what you're going through. They're there for you. Either you're their cup of coffee, or you're their, their reason to smile. They they're looking to you for that. But 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 you know when you go down, that's when you see people come out of the woodworks. So man man, wherever you're at, we're, we're here. Yeah, we and, you know,
0: and, and and it's tough. Uh, I mean it, it's tough because when you're not feeling good and you're slowly losing pieces of yourself every day. Uh, and your your wife's threatening to leave. Your kids aren't happy. And the camera goes on. And what's your job?
2: You gotta smile, man. Make us laugh. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You you, you gotta come through. You We're paying you to make people laugh. to yeah. have fun. Yeah. And, and and let's not get it twisted. Yes, we signed up for it. Yeah. No, nobody put a gun to our head. But there's all these things that come with it. You know, you're only as good as your last hit. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, I don't think people realize. And I'm not saying anything about anybody else. But I know uh, Casey and I, when we work together, I know we're always thinking about what kind of prop can we add to it? What kind of thing can we do to add to that? Because we could just stand there and talk. But we're always thinking about the extra theme because of the viewer. We want their experience. And we're
0: always ad libbing. Uh, you watch most news stations, and the reporters are—they're you know, reading. Rigid. Yeah, they're they're reading. Yeah, but now you guys. No, it was all ad libbing. It was yep. off the cuff, yep. and you would talk to these people and you say, "All right, hey, listen, we'll start at A, we'll end at C, and then we're going to fill it in the middle somehow. Yeah. Figure out how to get there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: It's it's a it's a throw. It's it's a it. It's homage to the '70s and the '80s uh, when when guys had personalities, yeah. women had personalities. Now everybody's afraid to do that because we don't want to step on anybody's toes. I mean, if you look, and again, I'm not poo pooing on any reporters or anything like that, but that's what I often hear from the old school, ti- the old timers. Like, you guys remind me of the '70s and '80s when people were fun and this and that. And now the new crop, they they're just so rigid and they just want to get through the story.
0: They yeah. don't want to have any fun, right? So, what led you to taking your three month sabbatical?
2: Man, everything, everything came to a head. Uh, I had a failed uh, suicide attempt. Um, uh, if you're a religious person, then then you believe that that was a, a heavenly father saying, "Hey, man, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how else to tell you that I'm I'm here with you." Right?
0: You know, um, when we first started this podcast. Um we were talking about people sharing their story, and that can't be easy for you. I mean, I, I, I automatically noticed your body language change, your eyes got heavy, and you're starting to water up. I mean, what makes you want to share that?
2: Like what you guys said in the beginning, if you can help one person, you know, and so my therapy and my journey, uh, I have to share my story. Hopefully hopefully it helps, man. Uh, I have a saying that I've been uh, telling uh, people uh, since my sabbatical uh, no egos, only equals. That's that's all I look at it right now. Oh, Case like that's really uh, that's been the thing that's been pushing me uh, to share my story. Um, you know, you talk about the other intangibles that come along with you know uh, that fearlessness. If if you didn't deliver on a day, a show didn't feel like it was a five star. I felt less than inadequate i i feel like oh then that means tomorrow i gotta be even more crazier right i always had that i gotta one up myself and sometimes it 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 backfired because i didn't feel good about myself and i'd come home irritable and who paid the price your wife and your kids you know so when you say uh that they didn't get that casey uh bro i i know exactly what you're talking about man uh my wife would tell people that all the time she would she would be the smile. what's it like living with him it it's fun it's <laughs> it's exciting every day it's oh my gosh you know it's amazing you know and then going to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> okay i feel better now okay you know it's just, it i i felt bad for her that she had
0: to put up a front like that you know yeah. stop and, me if your wife said this Buddha, we're not on TV. Oh, how many times gonna be on my gravestone?
2: Oh, don't, don't explain your life. Yeah, We
0: We we could, we finally could be millionaires with bumper stickers. Things that your wives say to you when you're on TV and you think you're the chisel. You know. Yeah. Oh, and there is ego the god with it. And I, and I've talked to Dr. Matt, and this has been something that I've recently been sharing about my story is the ego. Uh, I, yeah, mean, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it comes yeah. with it. No,
2: you, you. I don't think people understand when you can call a business up at 3 o'clock in the morning without any kind of warning and they say yes to you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you think that every idea you have is a good idea. That
0: does something to you,
2: man. It does. That's what I'm telling you. It does. When you it, drive it's it a, huge around reinforcement. With a car with your face and your name on it and a cop pulls you over because they just want to take a picture that affects you. It affects you guys. Yeah. I, was, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't walking around like my shiz doesn't stink, but I, I knew what white privilege felt like. I'm just saying. I, just, <laughs> I know what white privilege feels like because I could cut in line. I could do that, but I didn't do those things. So people bills. were pushing you to the front of the line. They, people, They'd be, oh, okay, come up here. Don't why, wait in why line. Why are back yeah. there? And I, Joe, I you know the rules. Yeah. You never do that. Mm. And I think that's what endeared us to people is because people say, you belong in the front. No, no, no. We're, I'm back here in the line. I'm I'm cool back here. Yeah, yeah. but but people have a sense. But that still builds your
1: ego because they offered it, right? It did. Yeah.
2: But but that's what I'm saying is, it cannot affect you. It has to right. affect you when people are throw. It's. I'm just saying it's really hard. So, I would try to reserve the good juju for the morning show, for the afternoon show. Then when I come home, I'm this mean son of a gun you know, that didn't want to do anything.
1: So I want to throw out a a term that I know you guys are both aware of, but the term is self-care. Okay? And so what you guys are talking about is a huge lack of self-care which happens a lot in your industry anybody who's an entertainer anybody who's putting on a show i would even say it extends to other other places like it, uh, you mentioned police officers they have to put out a certain vibe when they're out there uh, university professors you you've got to act whether you feel smart or not you got to act like you are you got to be up in front of the class right. and the problem is until just Recently in our culture, we've never valued or talked about self-care. Asian cultures have had that down for a long time. You know, they're teaching you from, from, you know, for generation after generation, how to be mindful, how to use meditation and Tai Chi and exercise to like, to like restore your mind and restore your body. We've never valued that. We've only valued the output. And so when you guys, so most of us don't have jobs like you guys have where you, where you, you have this TV personality and then you have your home personality. And the problem is there's so much energy that goes into developing that TV personality. If you're successful, you do have to think about it all the time. You do have to always be one-upping yourself. That helps you be successful in that arena. But when you come home without any idea about self-care, without any idea about how to recharge in a healthy way, your model was your dad laying down on the floor, you know, leave me alone okay maybe that's how you do it you know you grow up well maybe that's how you do it you know Casey sometimes we get modeled like the drink we come home and you have the drink and you have the beer and then another beer and another beer that's how we unwind and so thank goodness there are good examples of people that like the two of you are willing to say hey you know what we've got to take care of the other side of ourselves because the 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 professional side will crash eventually somehow we can't sustain it if we don't learn healthy self-care and so i think that's a that's part of the message here i hope people are picking up is anybody has a stressful job what if you're a school what if you're a third grade teacher you, you know yeah
0: that that's a persona oh, yeah.
1: that that you got you got to be the teacher the loving caring teacher you're everything yeah but then what what do you do when you come home do you know how to do self-care like that's that's a that's a problem our culture really lacks and if the young kids today can grow up learning about self-care you know mindfulness is like a buzzword now but that's a good thing you know that's funny that you bring that up because i don't
2: recall at all my dad doing any of that stuff like we never went on vacations like we we would just pull out the barbecue all right that's our fun time but you Mm. know we we really didn't have a chance to gel outside of our you know the rat race yeah Dad
1: was the same all the time. He didn't.
2: He didn't. You're right. He didn't self care. There was he no self care.
1: That was. I'm sure he was doing what he thought would work, laying down on the floor, yes. right?
0: That, he oh, he man, needed just, it, but he didn't know. He didn't know how bro, to get doc, it. Doc,
2: you just blew my mind. I just like that. Just I just had a moment.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you're right. You know, you think about the way we pushed ourselves. Um, you know, for 19 years, you've been to the rodeo every summer. 16 years, I'd been to the rodeo summer. Both of us ended up getting on a bull. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how's your cock? Coc- 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 it, it's not good. It's not good. You know, but, but that's what we would do. We would try to one up each other, yes. and that was always a thing. And we'd always. But, but tr- that was great for us, though. We no, that was we good. Were pushing each other yeah, yeah. career wide But but the then other but stuff that, came along. But then with what it. do you do? You yeah. know, and so then you, you start to get burned out. And as you said, uh, how many shots of hot stuff have you taken? Right. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I've done every hot week challenge the state has yeah. to offer.
2: Colonoscopy live. Yeah, because I couldn't get one up by Katie Couric. So, so I had to do a, a live colonoscopy wow. with no drugs, no <laughs> drugs, no drugs. No, seriously, no drugs. They, they, they. So, so Katie Couric did it the the week before. They they put her under and they try to interview her. She was well. It went down. Yeah. So the request comes oh. to me. We <laughs> want you to do a live this. colonoscopy, but are you willing to do it with no drugs? You know the dumb the dumbness in us. Camera courage.
0: Yeah. Ahead, let's do it. Yeah. I got it. Fearlessness. Did it a (laughs) lot. Dumbness. Fearless dumbness. I didn't get a colonoscopy, but I did get waxed on live TV. Uh, A manzillion. Yeah. Oh, man. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, that that was no bueno. That (laughs) was no good. Why ain't nobody no barbecue? Why ain't nobody no barbecue? I had my
1: 50-year-old colonoscopy not too long ago, and I could tell you I was looking forward to the drugs because I didn't want to remember any of that. thanks a lot, (laughs) Doc.
0: So you find out um, that you're losing yourself. Uh, pushes you so far that you have a failed suicide attempt. You come back and you talk to your wife and you talk to your work, and what do you tell them? I need a
2: break.
1: I got to figure something out. Let me me ask you this. Before that happened, did you know you were really struggling to that level? Uh, Not until the failed suicide attempt. That was the, I,
2: after that moment, I was crying. Everything like uh, Visa MasterCard commercials. I was just I was a mess and I knew that something was wrong and so that plus my wife threatening divorce was always, a you know, that's always another wake-up call. You know, I can't do this. You know, what's going on? Are you going to get help? So all of that, you know, helped me. And so I, I decided I, I really came to a point where I got to go get some help. I'm going to. Okay, let's be honest. I thought I was just going to go to like one session and call it. You know, I'm like, cause I don't, I don't believe in this crap, right? I, <laughs> what, what is, what is this guy or this woman, whoever this person is going to be, right? What are they going to tell me that, that I already know that I messed up? Yeah, I already know I messed up. I don't need your help to tell me that. So I was really trying to, I was trying to work the gimmick. I was trying to hustle my wife and just try to get her, uh, I'll go her one visit. a visit. I'm going to yeah. go.
0: I'm doing this for you, not and,
2: me. And not knowing that that's what I needed. Yeah, so that first, first session I went, that was, I, f- I felt like, uh, like like breathing. I felt like I was holding my breath underwater. And that first therapy session felt like I was taking my first fresh breath of air, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. You know, that's gas- great. That's such a wonderful description. And for the first time, I had, uh, I guess, what people would call a moment of clarity I finally understood why I was the way I was and I had to stop. So I had a, I had a, I had a family meeting with my kids, you know, my wife and I apologized and I said, I'm getting, you know, I told them this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get help. I'm going to do this. And that first session was probably saved my life, yeah. but I, I went in half, um, um, half hearted thinking, up, you know, um, the rock, the young rock, right? So I grew up early, early on. I I used to be uh, one of the kids that was behind the scenes at the old Olympia uh, gym, and we set up the mats. My my uncle's Jimmy Snuka, Uh, my dad's sister who married him. But when he says work the gimmick, that's us, Case. Mm -hmm. We have worked the gimmick so well, we have become the gimmick. Yep. You know, but thankfully for you, You've used your real name. I'm, I just used the moniker. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But but we've we've worked it so well yeah. that you have become this thing, and, and for, so you're so afraid to lose that. Yeah. And so you, that's how I was trying to preserve it. Is I would I would I would come home and not not spend any more energy on it.
0: Yeah, You know? Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, because that's the only thing that you knew what to do. And And growing up in
1: with some entertainment background as a kid, then you realize it's all about the show, right? The show gets you paid and the show gets you friends and the show gets you all that. And so then when you become the show, you know, it's hard. I want to know what it was like to go in and talk to the station and tell them you needed time off because overcoming that ego... That, that holds so many people back, whether it's trying to get re- recovery for drugs and alcohol, for mental health care, like going in and saying, I need to take time. I, I'm hurting. That, that's hard to do. I, I just, you know what? I was, uh, I
2: was just standing at the, at, the, at the edge and I was just going to jump in, you know, and I was just going to take whatever. I, I did do some homework, you know, read the company handbook and all that. And they provided it. Just, yes, you can take time. All you got to do is tell your manager. And that's what I did.
1: I didn't get any pushback at all. You good, know, I was able good. to go into three months sabbatical. And that's different about nowadays. You, know, you think about when Bat- our parents grew up, you know, even 20 years 100%. ago, you, you risk, you were you're going to get fired.
0: Yeah, I'll give you three months and more because you'll no longer work here.
1: Right. Yep. And especially in a job where you're the show. You're oh, the you're show. Kind. I mean, it
0: was, it was notable that you were gone uh, i mean i know after i got off the air I it was mean,
1: very noticeable yes yeah that when you were gone of course yeah people, you know, and, people would ask me people who had never they knew that you you and i were friends and they would be like where's casey yeah. yeah what happened
0: to casey you know so you, you take the three months off what do you do to find clarity what do you do to continue your journey i mean what kind of things are you using on the three th- months are you talking about yeah. or, or after when then, i came back all of it
2: yeah the it was all new to me, you know, and I was willing to do, uh, you know, we my kids, uh, they tease me, you know, when I do stuff and they'll say, Dad, are you really about that life? You know, so so I took that on as a personal mantle for this thing. And so what that meant was traveling, seeing family, doing things that I would that would help me get into that positive space. Right. Um so I went and saw my brother uh did some hike hiking. Oh my gosh. I freaking hiked for the first time in my life. <laughs> what the people my family like, what's are you all right? Uh, you hiking? What's, what's going on? Why why are you hiking now? Right? Um I have a cousin who does giant bubbles. And I didn't think he was gonna help me. He's like, Come on down, let me let me let me What's just, a giant bubble? Tell so, us So happening. he he it's a rope, two two sticks on a rope. And he connected and you put it in a bubble solution. You open it up and it blows 20 to 30 foot bubbles. Oh, wow. He does it on the Capitol. He does it at Pioneer Park. I mean, he's so he knew I was going through a funk and he is. Come on, man. I mean, let me blow some bubbles for you. <laughs> OK, I'm just like, uh wait, we some grown ass, man. We got to blow some bubbles. Uh, who's worse off, my cousin or me? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so we go out and he, sure enough, I get this. You this fork. wave of yeah. calm, and I'm like, I am so mad at you right now. He goes, why, why? I thought you feel good. Yeah. All this time, all you had to do was blow bubbles for me, <laughs> and I would have been fine. Where the heck were you?
0: Where were the bubbles? Yeah. I remember when we sat down to lunch last week, and you said, Casey, how are you doing? And I said, better than I've ever been. And I think what you're describing is kind of what I've been doing is you started to live and realizing that if you're not on the show, life still goes on. And I remember what I said to you because somebody said it to me. Your job on TV is what you do. It's not who you are. And it seems like for both of us, we got a little lost in who we were. Yeah. And now you're on a journey to find what Leroy Buddha is all about.
2: Here's the thing I was telling people is during the sabbatical – Big life changes happened for me. I became a grandfather. Now, I I, I can't tell you. You you think you're a good dad and you hold your kid and you think you're going to do right by them. Man, I got to tell you, man, there's something happened to you when you pick up a grandkid, man. It changes everything. Like, yeah, you don't care if you swear in front of your kid because that's your kid. But when I held my grandson for the first time, I'm like... I can't be doing these things. I said, I got grandkids now. Shoot, I can't, I can't be going to strip clubs. I can't be, what, I, I can't be doing that. I can't be like, what, what the heck's wrong with me? I got, a, I'm a grandfather. Bro, it, it changed. Yep. While I was on my sabbatical, that happened. I came back to work. I'm, I'm going to be fun. I'm going to be edgy, but I'm going to be grandpa edgy. It, it, it's a different experience. Everything I experience from now on has a grandpa feel to it. I, I can't explain it's it. It's more grounded. I, I really can't explain it, yeah. but it has changed my life. The, the way my, <laughs> I'm worried about the way my grandkids are going to see me. Uh, at the end of May, I'll have three grandkids. Wow. Two grandsons and a granddaughter. And I'm telling you, I, every grandparent out there knows what I'm talking about. You think you're going to be a good parent. No, no. You hold that grandkid for the first time. Game changer. It's over. They got you. And so now I just, I wish it would have happened earlier. Yes, I wish it would have happened earlier. It happened now, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, it
1: happened. Let, let, let me throw something in there in that mix. So first of all, that's wonderful. And it's, had a, it's, it's been a game changer, your words, right? But you let it become a game changer. You brought something to that experience of holding that grandson. You were ready for something to happen. You wanted it to happen. So if this has gotten you more grounded in life, it's because you you added something to that experience. Because even though there may be some people out there who have, hold their grandchild and they have that moment like you had, but then it's gone. They go right back to being the same person and not taking it to another level. Like you said, now you're doing things from different Point of view, your lens on the world is is a grandfather's lens of the but, world.
2: But Doc, would you think that that's because they haven't had an experience? Like, it can you know, Yeah, it's right? both.
1: It's it's the magic of when things fit together yeah. just right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the experience was presented. There's the grand baby. You get to hold it. The experience is right there, and then you're ready to take it. Giving in, Let, yeah. letting it happen. Letting it happen. Letting right? It happen. right. And See, letting I, it. Stick. I, I didn't
2: even realize that until you just said it. Until yeah. I'm just thinking, ah, oh, it's supposed to happen. No, no, you're right. That.
1: Huh. That makes sense. And that goes back to this idea of us owning like the insight of who we are, the good person that we can become, the person we want to be. We, we can't know when those experiences are going to come. Like you said, it would have been great if it came earlier. Maybe you wouldn't yeah. have been ready for it if right. it came earlier. Oh, gosh. Right? Bars. Facts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I've been saying this a lot lately when I talk to people, uh, and uh, you can say God, the world, karma, whatever you believe— It gives you what you want when you need it, not when you want it.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I just like to throw in if you're looking for it, like look for it. It it will be there when you're ready for it to to come to you. What else? I I think people need to know, like, this is serious. You you had a suicide attempt. This was serious stuff. Your wife was talking divorce. Uh, This was serious. You needed time off work. What other thing? So I think. First of all, there's a theme of connection. You went and saw f- family. You traveled around. You did. You made these connections. You did the bubbles with your cousin. I was
2: doing all kinds all of stuff, Doc. I mean, like, like even you know, um, if we're going to be completely uh, transparent, uh, alcohol, drugs, experimenting with. Uh, I-, I wasn't going to do. What is the ha- ha- haruska? Ha- uh, ayahuasca I, okay yeah. somebody asked me you know what you should do ah yeah, ah, yeah <laughs> ah, i studied a little bit I'm good yeah. you know I, you know yeah. but but I wanted and so when I started going to therapy I, I promised my wife and my family that if it led down to where the, the 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 therapist said hey why don't we try some uh chemicals if I'm about the healing life right if I'm about trying to get better I shouldn't I shouldn't stop from trying anything that a medical professional uh, suggests. Does, does that make sense? That's so way better than hiking. what your neighbor suggests. You yeah, know. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but they were suggesting like hiking, meditation. So whatever she said, I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. You're open. And little by little, I started to find my groove. Mm-hmm. right into what I do it so for me um, music has been a big trigger for me if I can listen I, I don't know what it's reggae re, I love reggae and island music if I can listen to that for five minutes I've learned that it brings my whole person mm-hmm. and demeanor down like counting to ten sure. but but I have to be able to find a place where I can do it right I can't cheat the experience mm-hmm. I can't be like okay I'm gonna put in my, my earbuds and still walk around it, it doesn't know you have to be
0: in a well, it becomes place. a type of meditation, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. it's meditation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now, your TV career is in limbo. Yes, uh, you've got this newfound appreciation of life. You're starting to find more connections out there. You're a grandfather. Uh, I I can see light back in your eyes, and 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 it, it gives me joy. So, what does the world look like for you right now?
2: Oh, uh, right now. Um just, uh, um, just trying to find work, you know, um, not really sure what that looks like uh, with lawyers and confidentiality, you know, all that other stuff. But um, I, I can only say, uh, forgive me, and you're welcome to cut this out if you want. I, I got to. I got, I got to thank Fox for giving me a platform, you know, for allowing me a chance to, to blossom and do that without them. There, there is no, no big Buddha. I mean, I I was just, just happy being a radio guy. So thank them for that. But, uh, now that I've gotten this thing, whatever you want to call it, I, it's just, just trying to find some work, man, you know, just trying to do my part and help people smile and hopefully, uh, tell their stories. So I don't know what's on the docket to be honest with you, but, uh, This, this show is uh, more than anything else has also made me realize that there's, there's hope. There is, in case you're right, there's life after TV. There is. Even if you don't go back to TV, you know. But, uh, if you're asking me, I I would love, I would love to pop up somewhere and see if it's, uh, if it's not a fluke. Let's see if we can't repeat this. If it's not a fluke, that's all.
1: Let me ask you to tell a story. Hang, Hang on. Uh, that you told off the air because regardless of what you do professionally going forward, you and Casey have a lot in common and that is that you're just who you are. Your, your personalities touch people and you have this ability to be in the moment with people. I've watched Casey do it for a long time. Uh, I've only seen you from afar on TV, but you guys have that, that, that connection with people. Will you tell the story of going for the first time to speak after, after you oh. got into recovery at my alma mater, Morgan High School, not too long ago, we just tell the story because I want I want you to tell it again for you to hear it, and I want the people to hear it because this is how we overcome mental health problems in our communities. This is how we overcome suicide in our communities. So, uh, my cousin Sione Havili,
2: uh, he's been uh, he has a documentary that's been filmed about his life. Um, he was a Mormon missionary uh, in New York City, got extradited back to Utah for a fire a firebombing incident. And so his story is about redemption, overcoming, you know, going from being a five-star recruit to uh, being a felon and now a executive at Domo. So he, he has an amazing story. So um, he gets invited to Morgan High School. He's going to go talk to uh, the kids about overcoming, you know, and uh, diversity and that you're good enough. So he calls me and asks me for some tips and pointers on public speaking. And I ask him, what's it for? He tells me the whole thing and he gets the part about mental health. He says, man, I could really use some help on that. I'm not really familiar in that space. And this is fresh. I just finished a therapy session and my therapist said, you know, don't, don't hold your story. You got to share it. That's the only way you're going to start healing. And he called me right after. So I, I saw it as an opportunity. I said, you know, I'll, I'll come and take care of it. I'll come and talk. Um, like my therapist, I should do it, do it. So he calls the school, asked for permission. They said, sure, that's great. So we show up. It's about, uh, 800 to 1,000 kids. Uh, they stopped the school. They filled the auditorium. And so they got to, uh, when it got to my portion, I just talked about um how social media, news, you know, I work in the news. And I know sometimes we force you and show you that this is how you should look. This is how you should act. This is how you should say this, you know, be yourself. Everybody's unique and everybody has their own unique light. So I did the, the whole $20 thing, you know, $20. You can run it through the mud. You can find it in the garbage has egg has crap on it. But the worth is still $20, right? And I got, oh, wow, that's really cool. So I had this idea that everybody's unique. Everybody has their own light. Some are brighter than others, but it's a light nonetheless. So I said, hey, can we turn off all the lights? So they turned off all the lights in the gym. And, you know, like kids, ooh, everybody, you know, right? Okay, just, just let it settle, let it settle. Think about this. Everyone has a light inside of them. Just like the phone. Everybody has a phone. Some of us have the new iPhone. Some of us have the old iPhone. Some of us have cracked screens. Some of you have an Android. I don't know that. It's dark. But you all have a light. Turn on your lights. Everybody threw up their lights. It looked like stars. And it lit up. And, and the, the reaction that we got from the kids was priceless. And I said, see, that's what I'm talking about. Everybody has this light. I can't tell who has a new phone. I can't tell who has an old phone. I don't know screen is cracked. All I see is the beautiful light emanating from inside. That's all I see. Thank you for that. That's done more for me than it's done for you, but I hope you learned something from this. That that was my message to the kids.
1: And you, and you said the kids were they were emotional and some were crying. They were crying, because yeah. Because that's the message kids need it's also the message adults need Yeah, so it
2: didn't matter what what phone you had right isn't the light. that a beautiful yeah i i don't know where that came from not for me i, I don't know whether you believe in uh spirits or whatever but that that was not me that that didn't come for me
1: but you're a conduit for it <laughs> and so i hope that after our our show today you'll remember that whatever you do professionally you have a special gift to reach out and touch because i know that made a difference for some people in that audience that day because it's such a powerful visual message. And there are so many teenagers right now. They need that message. So I hope that those sorts of experiences will be in your future for a long time.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Buddha, you have a beautiful light and you've shared it with the state of Utah for so many years. I want you to take time and make sure that you keep that light shining because you know, that's what's important. You know, we, we say in recovery all the time, you can't fill somebody else's cup up if your cup's empty. Fill your cup up, buddy. Fill your cup up. Self-care. You got to get some self-care. self-care. And it sounds like you're on the right track. And, and I am so blessed and thankful that you stopped by to share your story with us today. I mean, it really is going to help. Uh, uh, y'all I mean,
2: help me more than you do. I've, I'm here because you're my brother, but you guys have helped me. Thank you so you know, much for I, today.
1: I'm going to walk out of here feeling it uplifted today. And that's one of the reasons I love this show. It's one of the reasons I love hanging out with this guy right here, and now I love hanging out with you. This is And that that connection we talk about on the show all the time that the opposite of addiction is connection. Is connection, right? It's not abstinence, it's connection. But that goes for mental health too. That goes for quality of life. You don't have a quality of life if you feel isolated and alone. You have depression, you have worries, you have insecurities. But connection can start the path of recovery in all those areas. So thank you so much for connecting with me and with everybody uh, who's listening today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I love you, brother.
0: Love you too, bro. Love you. Hey, thanks for stopping by and listening to the podcast today. Don't forget, it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. That's right, Big Buddha.